This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Let's take our Bibles, turn to Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 7. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah chapter 7. Although we're made in God's image, there are countless ways that God is different from man. I've already commented on that. The most obvious way is His holiness and our absolute sinfulness. Because of this difference, no one has been more offended than God. Would you agree with that statement? He's angry with the wicked every day. And that's because the wicked keep being wicked. And Christians often continue in sin too, though we have no reason to. But he's offended. He's holy God. And yet Jeremiah would testify of the Lord in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Romans 5 verse 20 also speaks to this. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. What's that mean? Well, the law reveals how God has always thought about sin. He hasn't changed his mind about it. And though societies change and opinions change, God doesn't change. And so his law defined his holy character and what he thinks about what man is doing here. But then, again, Paul says in Romans, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's our God. There is a Christmas prophecy that powerfully illustrates this amazing truth about God. And it's found in the book that you've just turned to, the seventh chapter. We've learned in the past the theme of Isaiah. What is that theme? That God is going to take a nation of unbelieving sinners. The Jews, his people, those that he rescued from Egypt and was so gracious to and, and, and so loving to, providing their needs, protecting from enemies. He's going to take that nation that's turned their back on him and he is going to make them uh, a nation of believers and missionaries. And the ultimate fulfillment of that. It's going to happen with 144,000 Jewish missionaries during uh, the tribulation, but even then, the nation hasn't turned to God. The primary fulfillment of that is going to be during the millennium, when children who are born to believers, those that were saved during the tribulation and survived it, enter that millennium, they're going to be having children here, and who's going to witness to them about King Jesus? It's going to be the nation of Israel. It's amazing. So that's the theme of this book. Now this will require severe chastening of the nation, which is God has done. 
But God keeps bringing them back to his loving heart. And he can be trusted to fulfill his gracious plan concerning them. And then here's the application for us. He can be trusted to fulfill his gracious plan concerning you and me. So let's quote together Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Do you see it there? Let's say it together. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What a passage of scripture. Now, many of you have probably memorized this. Today, we need to see God can be trusted with our soul and with every aspect of our lives. And here's the ultimate sign that it can be trusted. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Here's the title of today's message. The ultimate sign that you can trust God. You have no reason not to trust God. And the ultimate sign is God sent His Son here, Emmanuel. So in Isaiah 7, 1 and 2, we're introduced to the context of this passage. The background to this amazing promise from God. So what was the background? Well, let's look at it. Every text has a context, and that is part of the instruction that God has for us. And so Isaiah 7, 1 and 2 uh, inform us about an unsettling storm. We've had some storms recently in this country. I grew up in northern Illinois in tornado land. Uh, I was through one, saw the devastation afterwards. Uh, they're very unsettling, these storms. But you know, there are other storms that life blows our way. Those can be unsettling as well. What was the storm that was happening in Isaiah's day? Verse 1, it came to pass in those days, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, King of Judah sent, uh, the, I'm sorry, let me back up. In those days that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up towards Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, another reference to Israel, and his heart was moved in the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. I mentioned to you one tornado that I was in. I grew up on a farm uh, as a boy. Well, I boys do this, I don't know. I counted the trees on our farm. We had 24. That storm had an impact. After the storm, 18 of them were gone. All right. The wind in trees, and what a picture of what was coming against Judah. So about six years after King Uzziah's death, in chapter 6, his grandson Ahaz is king and facing an invasion of the combined armies of Syria and Israel. The threat shakes the king and the people of Judah like the wind shakes a tree. Knowing the threat, Ahaz goes out to check Jerusalem's water supply in order to prepare for a possible siege. And so look at verse 3 now. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou 
and Shear Jeshub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. Now at this point in the narrative, some background is needed. First, why was Syria and Israel, why were they coming against Judah? If we were under threat of invasion, it'd have our attention. They were under that threat. In fact, it had already started to happen. Why was it happening? Well, Ahaz's grandfather Uzziah and his father Jotham had both been godly kings. Their godly leadership lasted in, Is in Judah for 60 years. Wouldn't you like to have a run like that? Syria and Israel had a bigger problem. Assyria, whose capital we know as Nineveh, Assyria was threatening invasion and they needed to conquer Judah so that they didn't have enemies on two fronts. You don't want to be looking east towards Assyria knowing that you've got an enemy to the south. Also, if they could conquer Judah, they'd have that additional help, perhaps manpower, to be able to stop the Assyrians. Now, ultimately, this was a test for Ahaz, who is 20 years old. I'm just curious, how many 20-year-olds do we have here? Okay, nobody wanted to be 20. That's all right. Okay. You two older gentlemen in the back, you're being dishonest. Okay, I'm just saying. I won't mention names. I might embarrass Cecil Lee, but anyway. All right. And Mike Blackburn. <laughs> but imagine being a 20-year-old and having to deal as king with an invasion. Okay. Now, will he trust God or trust his own wisdom to work this out? This is why we need to compare Scripture with Scripture. 2 Chronicles 28 tells us Ahad would, Ahaz, I'm sorry, ultimately would trust himself by offering sacrifices to Baal, and he'd also sacrifice some of his children. So he wouldn't listen to the prophet. He wouldn't trust God. In time, Syria and Israel would defeat Judah, but Jerusalem would not fall, at least at that point. Now, before the invasion, as storm clouds gather in the north, God graciously sends Isaiah and his son to make an offer to this wicked king, this 20-year-old. And so here's the unfailing solution for Ahaz. Again, we'll look at verse 3. And said the Lord unto Isaiah, go forth. Now meet Ahaz, remember he's by this pool of water. Verse 4, say unto him, take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and of the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against these saying. This is interesting. Verse 6, God's going to reveal... Whatever those kings are up to, whatever they've said, I already know it and I'm about to tell you. That's your God. You can trust you who you don't know much. 
Or you can trust God who knows everything and can do something about it. Doesn't seem like much of a choice, but we make it a choice. So verse 6, let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabeel. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is resin, and within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. In other words, invasion is going to happen, and they can't stop it. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Now notice the name of Isaiah's son in verse 3. Share Jeshub. It means a remnant will return. So there's really two parts about this name. First of all, there's an offer of hope. They will return. God has made some covenants with his people. He's going to fulfill those covenants. They will return. But there's also an ominous part to this statement. They're going to be defeated. They're going into captivity. That's why they're going to have to return. So Isaiah named his son in anticipation of Judah's future. And the name pointed to both a hope and a threat. Now you'll remember that Isaiah's name means... The Lord is salvation. So don't miss the significance of God sending this prophet and his son to deliver help to King Ahaz. Again, that's our gracious God. If your flesh or Satan have convinced you that God plays games, that he can't be trusted, that you can't depend on him, you're being lied to. That's not God. He is absolutely faithful and trustworthy. The king may be inspecting the water supply, but his only hope is really God, if he will hear what God has to say and then do it. Now these enemies are no match for God. They are only smoking firebrands whose fire is about to go out. That's the whole point. Have you ever seen a little smoke coming off a twig that's fallen out of the fire? And you might see a few coals there, uh, but it's just smoke, and it's now white, and it's turning to ash. And how do you put that out? A child can go over and just step on it, and it's done. That's the imagery here. Now, what will Ahaz do? The only wise thing would be to believe God, but he doesn't. Verse 9 literally says, here's a warning from the Lord, if you will not believe, you surely won't last. Let's take a closer look. The words believe and established in verse 9, they're the same Hebrew word. This is the word from where we get our English word, amen. So when you hear truth and you say amen, what you're saying is, I agree with the truth. I affirm that that's true. That's what you're saying. So what was God saying here? Isaiah uh, tells Ahaz from the Lord, if you will not say amen and support what God has said, you won't be amened. amen. You won't be supported. You're on your own. 
Now, he could be faint-hearted, verse 4, that's one option, or he could trust and trust worthless gods, or he could put his confidence in God. Now, this is where Ahaz is in a moment of decision. Do I believe this prophet? Oh, by the way, like my fathers did, or do I trust me? I've got a choice. And it's right here where God motivates him. And, and even though he's going to make the wrong choice, God graciously says to Ahaz, and, who is over Judah, he says to Ahaz and he says to all of us, I have great plans and it can't fail. Now, let's apply this. This really is the ultimate choice that we face in every decision. Whether a storm is blowing our tree or we're making a decision that seems to have little consequence. You can trust you or you can trust God. If you turn to your wisdom, even in your what you think are little decisions, those choices will eventually lead to a major storm. There is a way that seems right unto a man or a woman, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Keep following what you think is best without consulting God, following God. It is never going to end well. In fact, it will lead to a major storm, fear, depression, hopelessness, It's amazing how we as God's people can be deceived. Things start to go wrong for us and we decide, well, I, I don't have time to be in God's Word. Or we decide, I don't have time for church. It's like a person saying, I'm really sick, I think I'll drive past the hospital. Right? Well, Pastor, I'm, I'm discouraged. Things are not going well. And? So you walked away from God. How's that working for you? And I've done it too. <laughs> it's the flesh. It's foolishness. But that's what we do. Two choices on the shelf, pleasing me, pleasing God or pleasing self. So here's the point. The unfailing solution was offering, a, uh, offering Ahaz to take God at his word and to trust him. That is the unfailing solution. And, and you know, the storms can continue to beat against the tree. Or as we saw in Matthew chapter 7, as the Lord concludes the Sermon on the, on the Mount, the, the storm can continue to beat against your house, but if you're standing on the rock... If you're building on the rock, your house is going to stand. And so as we look to another year, 2022, look, COVID is not going away. And what God, I think, is, is having His church decide, are we going to live by fear or are we going to live by faith? Now, medically, some folks have to be very cautious. Some folks... Don't need to be that cautious. 
But now COVID has become somewhat of an excuse. Say, Pastor, how can you even say that? Because what you do with the rest of your week. Places you go, folks you're around that probably are unhealthier than this assembly. But that's okay. So you've convinced yourself. But somehow church is a threat. I'm just appealing to you as your pastor who loves you to be consistent and to be walking by faith, not by sight. Now the reality is some folks weren't being faithful before COVID and this just gave them another reason. This is between you and your God, but Jesus is coming back and whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We're always going to have sickness with us. It's not going away, and there's always going to be another strain. So are we going to decide to serve God or not? And by the way, we're all headed to one place. The grave, if the Lord tarries. But he saved us and, and, and birthed us twice, so we only have to die once. And we're going to stand before Jesus soon, and we're going to give an account. And he's greater than your storms. Are we able to trust him? The smartest thing, the best thing we can do, the unfailing solution is to just believe God. Now, as Ahaz faces this unsettling storm, God offered him an unfailing solution. But then God does something gracious for this wicked king who is full of himself, and God already knows the decision he's going to make. To, concern, or to confirm his faithfulness as God, he offers a sign to the king. Now, again, note the graciousness of God. Look at verse 10. Moreover, the Lord said again unto Ahaz, or spake again, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. What's he saying? You can ask anything and I'll do it. You can ask me to remove all your enemies. I'll do it. But then Ahaz reveals what's in his heart. And as you read verse 12, just realize he wants to sound spiritual and he's being political. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Well, good for you. Again, he's, he's trying to sound pious. He is not pious. But this is what he said. Now, don't be deceived. His heart is not for God. 2 Kings 16 reveals why, partly why he said what he did. You know what it was? He had already made a secret pact with the king of Assyria asking him to help. Well, my neighbors to the north are concerned about a bigger threat, and that's Assyria. Well, I'll fix this. I'll just go make a, make a peace treaty with Assyria. And it sounded like the king of Assyria said, okay, I'll do that. Great idea. So humanly, was this a smart king? Uh, humanly, did this make human sense? The answer is yes. 
Only problem is it wasn't in the will of God. He wasn't trusting the Lord. His problem was he already was seeking help from someone other than the Lord. Just like some of you listening today who are already dismissing what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you about some area of your life because you're believing that the, the plan your flesh has is better than obedience to God. Now God already knew what Ahaz was up to. He already knew how Ahaz would respond and yet he still sent his messenger and his son. But God isn't done. He's going to do something showing he is gracious, our gracious God. And in a category where he stands alone, God gives an undeserving Ahaz and our undeserving humanity the ultimate sign. And this brings us to the verse that you know. That's the context. Now, what is the ultimate sign? Look at verse 13. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? What, what's he saying? People knew already from Israel's history, ungodly kings who turn to themselves, it always fails. We're coming off of 60 years of godly kings where clearly God blessed that. And I think there were those in Israel that were just tired of these kings trying to do it their way. Anybody here tired of Washington trying to do it its way? Ugh. But it's not just wearing me. You think you're tired of it. Think about how tired God is of it. That's verse 13. But here's the ultimate sign. Therefore, the Lord himself, he's going to take things into his own hands. They're already in his hands. But watch this. Shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So God promised the babe in a virgin's womb who would be called God with us. Now, just so there isn't any doubt, because unbelievers who think they're scholarly have tried to explain this away. So I'm, gonna, I'm glad you're sitting down. I'm going to share something with you that it might, you might struggle with it, but here, here's the thing. Virgin means virgin, okay? It's what the word means. When the Septuagint was translated by Jewish men, taking... God's word and translating it into the Greek language. Jewish translators, they showed they understood this to be a virgin because they used the Greek word for virgin. But here's something that should be obvious to all of us. It's not a unique sign when a woman is expecting a baby. That happens a lot on this planet. It is a unique sign when the woman expecting a baby is a virgin. And what did Mary say? I've never known a man. Mark Minnick notes, there is not a single context in the Bible where this same word for virgin is used where the meaning is any different. Say, Pastor, why, why, are, we, why are we stopped here? Well, it's because there are those that say this just means young woman. No, it doesn't. 
It's the word that means virgin. And by the way, it has to be virgin because the sin is passed on through the human father. And so Jesus didn't have a human father. What was what, what, what happened with Mary was the miracle work of the Holy Spirit of God, placing the Son of God in her womb. No human father and therefore no sin nature. All man, all God, but sinless man. Hallelujah. And so, what is really happening here? A virgin shall conceive, and God will be with us. God is so trustworthy that he will fulfill the promises made to Adam of the seed of the woman. Remember that, Genesis 3.15? He's confirming that promise. The promise made to Abraham, to David, and through all of the prophets, including now what Isaiah is doing. This one named Emmanuel would have humble beginnings, verse 15. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be uh, forsaken uh, of both her kings. So butter, it's the word for curds. And honey, a reference to a poor family, what they would eat. Verse 16 refers to the fact that before Emmanuel, Jesus was to be uh, of the age where a child can discern between good and evil. Now, this would be seven centuries from the time that this prophecy is made. The land of Israel and the land of Syria would be without true kings. And Israel would be without a king from the Davidic line. Yet it was into that setting that God sent his only begotten son to be God with us. So you serve a God where it doesn't, if it looks like it can't get any worse than it already is, God's already ahead of it and his glorious plan is right on schedule. And he remains Savior. So the unfailing solution to anything you're facing is to trust God and what He has said in His Word. And you can trust Him to be gracious because in all of our failings, He is still the Son of God with us. Romans 8.32 He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him? If He's already given you Him, also freely give us all things. All things, we, immediately we tend to go to things, stuff, material things. No, no, no. He will give us the things we need spiritually, emotionally, and oh yeah, physically. You have no reason not to trust the gracious God of heaven with your soul, in your service, with your health, with your enemies, and in all of your relationships. You can trust Him. Anytime you make a decision that is not of faith, the Holy Spirit is going to remind you that it's not of faith. And you need to agree with God and follow His gracious will. So let's conclude. This is the ultimate sign that you can trust God. 
ultimately, with all this sin and this unbelief, ultimately God kept his eye on the goal line. I am going to save you. And he sent God to be with us. Now, if he's willing to do that for you, folks, he's going to take care of all the rest of it. And he's got us here to follow in his footsteps, to trust him, to serve him. And that is the motivation for a new year if he tarries. And the worst thing you can do in 2022 is trust you. And that even rhymed, and I didn't intend it to. All right. You can trust the Lord, God with us. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Father, thank you for your word. As we close today, would you continue your gracious work in our hearts now? Lord, thank you for your patience with me. Oh, how many times I've trusted what I thought best instead of what you said. And Lord, you've been gracious to teach me that that's not the right way, but to show me the right way. And Lord, there are some saints listening today who have been very faithful. No matter what storms come. There are some folks listening to this message. That Lord, if you define their life right now, it would not be well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, you can't depend on them. If they show up in church, it's once in a great while and for no good reason that they've been away. And Father, that begs the question, what are they doing personally in their walk with you? And then what are they doing to serve you who gave your all for us And so would you help us respond to your truth today? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Christian brother, sister, you may have failed or you may be failing your Lord, but he has given you his promised son. And he that hath begun the good work will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not giving up on you. Don't you give up on you. But you make things harder when you try to do it in your own strength and wisdom. When you stop trusting your own wisdom and start obeying him to deal with the storms of life and the, and the daily decisions you need to make. He never asked you to provide for you. He promised to do that for you. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. You are here to glorify Him and your unbelief and disobedience will never accomplish this or allow you to fellowship with Him. Come to Him in repentance and full surrender today. Don't, don't enter a new year with same old, same old. Don't do that. You don't need to do that. If God has spoken to your heart today, let Him have His way. And then if you're listening and you don't know Christ as Savior, like Ahaz, you may have an unbelieving past. You may have served false gods, idols, instead of the true God. But God has fulfilled His promise. He sent Emmanuel. And God came to this earth, became man, 
went to a cross, died to pay for your sin debt and mine, three days later rose from the grave, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is there to intercede for you so that if you come to him right now, admit to him you're a sinner, and ask him to save you and give you eternal life, he'll do it. You can be saved today. Will you receive him? Will you receive him? Right now, you can invite him into your heart. Right now, he can be your savior if you'll admit you're a sinner and believe on him. Now, Father, would you bless this invitation time? God, work in hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.